in a world full of liars, full of politicians and deceit, there is only one salvation. Welcome to This Week in Lies. Hi everyone and welcome to This Week in Lies, a show hosted of course by myself Ben. Joining me as usual are my co-hosts Adam. Hello. And David. Hello. Live today on location in the Vatican. Surprisingly quiet though at the moment. It's not really much yeah. going on. You'd have thought it would been a bit busier if they needed a new Pope for something. I don't know. I, maybe we've missed it or something. I don't know. I, I didn't hear much in the news about it. There are a lot of pigeons here. That's the only thing I've got to say about this. Yeah. I thought there'd be a bit more smoke as well. But... It's a bit disappointing, to be honest. Why Why did we waste all this money to come here? I, I don't know. I uh, I think we messed up. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first story of the week is, of course, the new Pope. White smoke emerging from the Sistine Chapel signalled that a new Pope has been elected on Wednesday, and it emerged that Argentinian Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio is that how you say it? Very nice. Well done. I think. Had won the two-third majority required to be elected the new Pope. Uh, Bergoglio is the first South American and first Jesuit Pope and has taken on the moniker of Pope Francis I. It was a surprise appointment uh, and he was not amongst the expected frontrunners. It was rumoured that a younger Pope would be elected, so the election of another 70-plus-year-old um, is... They're just, going, just going for what they know works. Experience in the midfield, obviously, is what they're looking for. Someone exactly. who can perform a holding role. The um, last one quit, though. He just <laughs> left on a basement. <laughs> it's good for South America. South America is home to around 40% of the world's Catholics. Um, and many have said that it's a, you know, a populist appointment in an area where a lot of the churchgoers aren't dwindling. There's still a strong Catholic presence in South America, so it's about time that they got some representation. Um of course, Pope Francis coming into a very challenging time. Issues on the role of women, strained interfaith relationships, and of course, um, the problems of child abuse and all those kind of things. Things in the diocese in Los Angeles with one of the cardinals and so on at the same time as well. So, problems already in the papacy. What do we think about the whole... Well, we know what Adam thinks about the church in general. <laughs> well, I am going to take some inspiration from Raphael Benitez a few years ago. And just state some facts for you. These are the facts, right? I'm going to take you back to the 1930s. Bit of the papacy's having a bit of an issue. The Roman Catholic Church makes a deal with the Nazis. Yeah, <coughs> it's true that actually happened, but they would not say anything bad about the Nazis, and they could keep all their money. Yeah, okay. last pope in the Hitler Youth. Right. Yeah, so does that link? Yeah. 1980s now. <laughs> In uh, Argentina, there's a military junta, and the current Pope Francis uh, signs a nice little deal with the Argentinians to not complain about what's going on, and uh, let the junta do what it's doing, and uh, sells two of his fellow priests down the river, literally down a river, (laughs) to the Argentinian junta. So essentially, they're just going for consistency of find someone who's been involved with a very, very bad regime, and let them look, look after the church. And I think this appointment shows, you know, they're really going to try and cling on to the likes of Al-Assad and uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Didn't know they were prominent Catholics, if I'm honest. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. I saw this on Wikipedia. And In a shock move. It's yeah. never wrong. 
So it isn't. It's rare. Know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but we do know Guatemala has no corners. Exactly. <laughs> that's from Wikipedia. Yeah, it's well known that the Catholics have a massive problem with the Jews, and that, that's why they hate them. Basically, <laughs> exactly. It's good work that founder of the religion's not a Jew. Oh, sorry, he is. Yeah. So, what do you think about in general about the appointment of the new pope? Is he going to change anything? Is the question. My opinion's not yeah. really. It seems pretty doubtful, to be honest. He still has very backwards views on gay people, on you know women in the church. It's just that how much is ever going to change unless there's like a black pope, unless one of them does support <laughs> like equality issues. Wait a minute, you're expecting a religion to show some kind of evolution towards modern day opinions yeah. and views. I mean, they do believe, you know, it's a massive faith-based thing. It's not exactly, you know, the rules aren't going to change very often, are they? Well, it's, it, I don't think this Pope will change much, not because I don't think he has, you know, the influence or perhaps the mental strength to do it. I just don't think he'll be alive long enough. No, maybe no. I give him 154 days. Yeah, I mean, at the point where you are 70 plus, there's very little you can actually effectually change. I know, and he is 76 with one lung one yeah, that's lung. another. So, but how it, did he get one lung? It was something to do with a yeah, infection in his lung. It had to be <laughs> taken out. It could actually help in a strange way during his speech making. Uh, could you imagine, like, this is just you know, an aide coming up to him saying, "Pope, why did he say that uh, gays are like the most amazing thing?" And he just said, "I said gays are amazing, but I meant." The most amazing evil. I just ran out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could, be, it could, you know. Well, at least we don't have to worry about it. Well, I mean, you know, in his in his holding role that he's been employed in, stamina is a key, a key attribute, and having one lung will what's, show him down in the midfield. What's his full job title? Like, is it interim first team? <laughs> <laughs> part-time manager of the Catholic Church on a weekend. Yeah, until they can get Pep Guardiola in. <laughs> Jürgen Klopp <laughs> coming to a cathedral near you. <laughs> now we're going to move on to some bad news, but just to give it some context, obviously... Oh, it smells of sulphur here. The devil has literally been speaking where I am now. Can you, can you smell the devil talking? Yes, Ben, in this context, you are the devil. Why? Hugo Chavez has died. Um, he passed away at the age of 58 after a battle with cancer. Not sure if it's cancer that was caused because cancer happens in people or if the CIA got rid of him. You'll never find out. Um, Chavez... has, his, has his body been dumped at sea yet? Well... He was a, obviously a controversial figure and a first attempt to take the presidency by a coup in 1992. But for me, that's just enthusiastic democracy without the bureaucracy. So it's fine. Yeah, no red um, tape. No red tape. Exactly. Uh, before he uh, rode a huge wave of disgust at the traditional elite to win the presidency legitimately in 1998, um, he was obviously a great champion of the poor in society that made him a few enemies across the world. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> But he was seen by many as increasingly autocratic over the years, winning a referendum to have all term limits abolished to remain in power, um, and arguing he needed more time to plant the roots of a socialist revolution. Uh, to say he was outspoken about America would be to 
not give the term outspoken the credit it deserves. It would do an injustice to people who are outspoken. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not raving lunatics. <laughs> um, in 2001, he accused them of fighting terror with terror in Afghanistan and famously called George Bush the devil for what I was alluding to before. Um, he also often criticised the church, claiming they abandoned the poor and did not walk in the path of Christ, which looking at the vault at the Vatican could probably yeah. say that's pretty true. Links in quite well with the last one, to be honest. <laughs> it does. Um, perhaps that notion that he created a cult of personality was the fact he hosted his own weekly TV show, <laughs> Allo Presidente, in which he talked about ideas, interviewed guests, and had regular songs and dances. Now, I know those TV shows went on for like two hours at a time. <laughs> it is really reminiscent of a crazy dictator who's on some national television for hours on end shouting at his enemies. The thing is, is he was just... I don't really have any strong opinions for or against him. I'm kind of in the middle for just how funny he was for just annoying George Bush yeah. constantly. <laughs> but he was just such a strange character, is yeah. all you can say about yeah. him. I think he was a bit misrepresented, you know, in the West, because he attacked America so much, and he was a massive socialist. Everyone was a bit worried, you know, he'd lead into a really, really autocratic kind of thing. I mean, he did do a lot for Venezuela in terms of... For the action. region? Well, yeah. Saying that, however, there's a lot of problems with inflation and there's a lot of problems with people still being elected unfairly into government positions when he was alive and so on. And, you know, he's basically already re-elected his follower now. He's basically said, well, if I die, vote for this guy and everyone's going to vote for him and he'll be continuously. But, I mean, yeah, I don't, yeah I'm, I'm with Adam, really. Kind of, He kind of did stand up to America a little bit in terms of saying we're not America's backyard, we are our own countries but he kind of did it in a crazy way at the same time. Yeah, it's ignored that he did actually talk some sense on some issues. Like, he did champion the poor. He derided the church for hoarding so much money, it's unbelievable, for taking advantage of poorer people and they are on the side of the rich. But then you can say that you can judge a man by the friends that he keeps. Uh, yeah. With <laughs> Bashar yeah. al-Assad, uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, a few Gaddafi. other Gaddafi as well. A few just gen- Mubarak, I think Mubarak as well. He just I, Ken Livingston. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's probably true. George Galloway probably liked him. He likes everyone who America hates. But yeah. uh, it, it it's one of them. But if you look at his friends, you can possibly see where a few of the issues were. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was that, by no means perfect, but he wasn't as bad as people say he was. Really. No, that's what I mean. I mean. It's it, like I said, the things that he has done in terms of actually being a president of Venezuela are forgotten in the fact that he ran and raved quite a lot of George W. Bush and that he was, you know, championing a, a socialist revolution or a communist revolution and the, those kind of words in America and, you know, have the worst kind of effect on people. Of You are a socialist, ultimately, you are the devil incarnate and anything you say is wrong no matter what. So, but that's obviously true, Ben. Are you saying that's not true? He doesn't. Better dead than red. Better dead yeah. than red. Also, I'd like to say, imagine David Cameron on TV for two hours a week being able to say what he wanted. It basically like, well, if you looked at Thing Under Labour, and then I'd ram my head into a desk. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, is he couldn't be on TV for two hours, not through any, like, for what he was talking about it, because under studio light, his face would melt. <laughs> so, and the fact that I think a lot of people would demand that the TV licence money was paid back to them. It's like, yeah. there is no way I'm watching David Cameron for up to two hours a week. I think I'd have smashed my TV, yeah. to be honest. 
Oh god, it's a horrible thought to even think about. Who I mean, guess me as well. Oh, the five-minute party political broadcasts are enough for me to take of David Cameron and or George Osborne telling me how they're going to fix the economy. So, the last one that I saw for the Tories, I was watching on my lunch at work. And if it wasn't for the fact that I was in work, I would have screamed some very, <laughs> very strong words. Because I, I don't like Cameron. I don't know if that's ever come across. No, no. But when George Osborne comes on, I genuinely just cannot hold myself back in wanting to just punch him very strongly. Yeah. He's not even the worst as well, which is the scary thing. Ian Duncan Smith... Just callously taking from the poor at all times. Like I said, I feel a bit sorry for Duncan Smith because I think he's actually okay as a politician, but he just says some things that get. I think he read Robin Hood backwards. And yeah, yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah. But anything more to say about Hugo Chavez? I mean, is he going to be missed? Are we going to miss him? I don't think he's dead. Is he uh, just got he, to live on the has... island with Tupac and Elvis and yeah, Osama bin Laden? Uh, he has been stuffed and mounted in a museum at the moment, though, which is a bit weird. Do you really? reckon? Do you reckon he's going to get voted in in the next election? <laughs> Just like <laughs> that. Good grief. The cadaver of Hugo Chavez. <laughs> oh, they'd vote him in in Brazil. That's all I'd yeah. say. They put him, just put like puppet on him and just <laughs> move his arms <laughs> literally have him walk in. Britannia, Britannia rules. The Falklands. Okay, okay. Calm down, Adam. Please calm down. (laughs) Well, there's a referendum in the Falkland Islands this week to determine whether the citizens of the island wanted to remain in British rule. It's fair to say, yes, came out on top. (laughs) There were 1,518 votes cast. 1,513 were voted voted to remain under British rule, a Mugabe-esque 99.8% <laughs> of the vote. One ballot paper was rejected, one more was unaccounted for, and frankly, that is unacceptable. Yeah, that, could have, that could have swung the vote, it could, it in could. all honesty. And that left three votes voting for either the islands to become independent or switch sovereignty, presumably, to Argentina. Nobody's found out who these three people are, but <laughs> I dread to think what is going to happen. <laughs> three um, members of the Argentinian government who snuck over there and voted. Who voted against it? The Ramirez family. Do you have any <laughs> idea what happened? <laughs> the only people with a foreign last name, I bet. <laughs> uh, there was worries that the referendum would be plagued by apathy, but 92% of eligible voters turned out to vote. And uh, the citizens really hope that their voices now will be heard on the international stage because Argentina and other countries back in then have said that, you know, the citizens' rights don't really count or their voices don't count at least. Yeah, but their voices in terms of the international noise is just, it's not even background noise Mm. because Argentina can scream louder. Britain are going to just keep going, la 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 la, as loud as possible. And America has noise-cancelling headphones on, so it it's really like doesn't It's like it's the equivalent of someone five miles by going, hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what do we think about this? Good. There are islands. <laughs> there are. Of... Well, I mean, if the people want to be British, why, why not? As far yeah. as I'm concerned, I don't think... And like I said, it is slightly strange. You look on a map, if you, if you don't know exactly how close Falklands are to Argentina, it's ridiculous. They yeah, are on the coast. You say that, yeah. using my history degree, I was looking through some previous comments by uh, Argentinian presidents, and they said that if you you know look at the map of 
where Las Malvinas are. They're so close to us. They should be ours. And I've got a map of the world. Look for these Las Malvinas. And they're not there. Yeah, I know. Like, they're where they good. say they are is where the Falkland Islands are. Yeah. And I think they've, I think what they've done is, being Spanish and thinking they're still imperialist, they've looked, saw a random dot, which might have been dust on the map, mm. and thought, oh, that's the Las Malvinas. Mm. And it's not. They've just mistaken these for our islands. Mm. That's crazy I mean, they have our flag, you know. And they all speak English, so... Yeah. <laughs> with a really weird like New Zealand twist I know yeah That's slightly Welsh as well at some <laughs> points I've heard of quite a few Welsh accents coming from there it's very odd it's always it's one of the few you know occasions where a lot of Union flags isn't worrying yeah <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not a nationalist saw, rally if you saw that in Britain it's just like where's Nick Griffin <laughs> get him out <laughs> Northern Ireland, there'll definitely be some Republicans around the corner as well with bricks do we uh, need to send another warship down there We've already got two. Can we send another one, just in case? No, because the Tories got rid of them all. I'm surprised Cameron doesn't want to, you know, wage war on the Argentinians. It's what kept Thatcher, you know, afloat for a while. I mean, what else is he going to do? Unlike the Belgrano. (laughs) I was biting my thumb to not say that. So I'm so glad you said it. We didn't think it, it fell over. I know. It wasn't a war crime, it was just an accident. We act... Shut it was up. simulation. Shut up. Playing for it. Shut up. <laughs> Yellow card to the Belgrano for diving. <laughs> so now we're going on to the um, alcohol U-turn in the UK. David Cameron has told MPs he will deal with, in scare quotes, cheap alcohol being sold in supermarkets in England and Wales. It comes after reports that the government had ditched the plans for the apparent 45p per unit minimum alcohol pricing strategy that they'd set out. Tory MP uh, Sarah Wollaston, who's also a GP, called on the Prime Minister to stick to the plan, saying it would cut crime and early deaths related to alcohol abuse. Mr Cameron said the government was considering the outcome of a consultation, but had said sales of 20 pence cans of lager had got to change. He said there's a problem with deeply discounted alcohol in supermarkets and other stores and I'm absolutely determined that we will deal with this, he told MPs. Earlier, Labour leader Ed Miliband, who backs the minimum pricing strategy, had attacked Cameron over another U-turn, beginning the Prime Minister's questions by asking MPs, is there anything he could organise in a brewery? (laughs) Classic. A subplot has emerged, centering around further allegations and accusations that the Prime Minister has been overruled in the matter by Home Secretary Theresa May, who has conspicuously not dampened rumours that she might be taking a run uh, to be the leader of the Labour, uh, the Conservative Party and the government, hopefully, in the near future. So, I mean, it's another case where the Tories are kind of furiously backpedalling away from something that they were strongly behind. You know. Two things on this. 20p can of lager. If you can get smashed off 20p cans of lager... You're a lightweight. I know. We've tried. We remember when we got <laughs> those ads in the lagers. We have genuinely tried. It's disgusting. Uh, secondly, Theresa May as Prime Minister. Or anything higher up than... Not because she's a woman, I'm saying that. It's because she's Theresa May. She could uh, end up getting the kind of Thatcherite swing on her vote. To say I'd rather she looks watch, a little bit like her. To say I'd rather she looks watch, like her, yeah. Does it's that, a good a reason as any if you're yeah. Tory MP. <laughs> that is worryingly true, but to say I'd rather watch Paint Drive than listen to her talk, well, that makes... I, I can't even... She's so boring, I can't even make a joke about what I'd rather do because I don't know what I'd rather do than listen nothing, to her talk. Nothing, yeah. 
I mean, what are our opinions on a minimum pricing? Is that something that you think would work? I think there needs to be, you know, some level. You can't just have ridiculously cheap amount of alcohol and then not expect people to just, you know, get absolutely hammered every Drink, weekend. Drink, you know, buy a six-pack every day. Yeah. Throw up into a bin, you know, <laughs> attack a random guy in a kebab shop. You know, you know get it in their own Sorry. hair and get their friends to cut yeah. it out. Are we talking about Britain or are we talking about Geordie Shaw? It's in Britain, so. Okay, thanks. You know, there's not at all any chance of people getting involved in some kind of bin social where they have far too much to drink and have to be carried home by their friend. No, oh, imagine, imagine if that ever. Imagine happens. the embarrassment for someone with long hair as well if it gets in the hair and then they have to shout at their friends to tell them to cut it out. Exactly. Yeah. And nobody on this panel has long hair, so it's you know it's fine. Taking <laughs> back to a serious point, I don't support putting a minimum price on alcohol. Why not? Because maybe we. J- Right, if you make it more yeah, maybe expensive, we should just maybe we should drink. actually deal with the issue of yeah. put the drinking age down to 16. Seriously, I've got a plan for this. Because it'll mean that the people who are morons with alcohol will get cirrhosis of the liver quicker and die quicker. Problem solved by the time they're 35. So kill poor people, is what you're saying. Yeah, well, I got it out of... Oh, wait a minute, this is the Conservative Manifesto again, put sorry. That <laughs> put that in the bin. <laughs> Recycle no. it. Then. Well, I mean, look, I'm of the opinion that it can only do good. Middle class drinkers aren't going to be affected by it. That's, I mean, the government are saying things like, or they're trying to backpedal and saying, you know, the sensible drinker who drinks a bottle of wine and has it with their wife at home and relaxes, they're going to be affected, they're going to be paying more. But it's, at the end of the day, they're buying like a four pound bottle of wine. It ain't going to affect them. That Does this much. not remind you of the argument Tony Blair put forward to? Well, what happens if a respectable couple want to go to a pub at 11.30 for a sherry? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> no one does that. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. And to be honest, anything that you can do to stop alcohol being cheap enough that younger people can get hold of it and people who are you know on benefits or people who are socially disenfranchised and basically just turn to drink, anything you can do to stop that and then you know not not that it's going to happen but the levy could be used to then be put into areas where we can make a difference in terms of social care and counselling and work like that but that wouldn't be what happened if the government taxed it it would just go on against whatever offsetting the non-mansion tax that they were going to have or paying for someone's holiday it's just another tax against poor people to do it though i know it sounds strange because obviously you don't want people to be drinking as much as they do yeah but it hits poor people more. Yeah, as a percentage of their income, but and maybe that's something that we've got to do as a society is say that drinking excessive amount of alcohol yeah. is bad for you. The same thing that we've done with smoking. Yeah, I understand that. It's just, I don't know, I think there could be better ways of doing this. Yeah. The thing is, there is also a culture of just, you know, you grind through your dro- job Monday to Friday, you go out of the weekend, you get absolutely, you know, slaughtered. Like in Italy, if you throw up, you're seen as like a social embarrassment. Yeah. a lot of people on the continent if we had that kind of culture ingrained in us we wouldn't just go out and you know get annihilated to use my history degree again it's a very much anglo-saxon thing to do but um you would work hard throughout the week and for the two days off that you were given or the one day off or the one night off you would get unbelievably drunk so they think it's just a cultural and societal kind of habit that comes down yeah. Well, maybe to use that degree. Well, I'm in the opinion that the European drinking culture is one of the healthiest. I mean, yeah. you look at the amount that the French drink and the Italians drink, uh, the Spanish and everyone, they don't have problems with, um, well, they have problems with alcohol abuse as every society does. They don't have anywhere near the same amount. They don't have the same amount of, say, teenage pregnancies. They don't have the same amount of family issues. 
And a lot of it can come down to the fact that our culture is very excessive in terms like that. And we don't have a mafia. Well, and that, yeah. yeah. We also have the least amount of working hours off in this country. Like People do properly grind to get to the end of the week. We don't have as many holidays as people. Maybe if people were like, you know, recompensed a bit more, maybe oh, raise the, the national the, wage, the, the Dutch minimum wage. Four days a week working, then people may not need the same amount of then, oh, well, I've only got two days off, I'm going to just get absolutely smashed. They might actually yeah. then spend it doing things that are, you know, not drinking. Yeah, and this isn't at least to say moderation. That, well, yeah, it's not to say that drinking in moderation is bad. It's fine. It's good for you, scientifically, anyway. Um, it's the, the point of the fact is that people end up sort of spending their entire week waiting to go out, get absolutely hammered, and drinking, say, 15 to 20 units in a night. And it's like anything we can do to stop that, I think, is a good thing. Like I said, I'm in agreement. Is I don't know whether this is the right way to do it. But I agree with like taking back to some of the points you made before about especially teenage pregnancy. We are notoriously bad for that in this country. But mm-hmm. we have an aging population and we do need more children to actually pay the tax bill. <laughs> so in a strange way, this isn't... A- Having a lot of teenage pregnancies is helping us later on along. Pump Let's vodka <laughs> into the water system. <laughs> Subsidise alcohol so that all people can just, well, you know. Fornicate. Yeah, that, that, that's what I was looking for, yeah. yeah. That, that's a great social policy. I think we should bring that into, into force. Okay, just have lots of sex. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> How can it go wrong? I'd also like to say just about U-turns in general. People do hammer the government a lot. U-turns in and of it themselves aren't necessarily that bad. It's okay to admit they're wrong. I, th- I suppose where the government do fall down is they have done it quite a few times. And um, it does suggest that your policies really aren't that good. <laughs> they often try and as well refuse that they ever said that this was a good idea. They're like, no, 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 we were never. We were just taking it into consultation. We were never, no, 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 stop lying. No, I didn't say that. That's not a quote. No, no. This government's U-turn that many times, it's got to be dizzy or just running around in a circle going, la, 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 la. <laughs> They've reached a roundabout. They're just going <laughs> round and round and round, trying to get off, trying to try, but they can't do it. Settle down, class. Now, here's a question for you. If Jimmy has five bullets and Mary has six, who's more likely to get shot? <laughs> Well, this is the depressing news that South Dakota has become the first state in America to enact a law explicitly authorising school employees to carry guns on the job under a measure signed into law by Governor Dennis Dugard, who doesn't sound American and is possibly a communist. (laughs) Passage of the law. Damn (laughs) foreigners. Passage of the law comes amid a passionate nationwide debate over arming teachers, stoked after, um, obviously... The shooting of 21st graders in an elementary school in Newtown, Connecticut uh, in December. And uh, shortly afterwards, the the National Rifle Association, that pause is just there for you to remember how stupid they are, um, proposed a plan for armed security officers in every school and legislation to allow school personnel to carry guns was introduced in about two dozen states, although those measures have stalled until now. Several other states have already had provisions on their laws or no legal restrictions that make it possible for teachers to possess guns in the classroom. In fact, a handful of schools district nationwide do have teachers who carry firearms. 
but South Dakota is the only known state with a statute that specifically authorizes the teacher to possess a firearm in a K-12 school. Um, according to Lauren Heinz, a research analyst at the National Conference State Legislatures. Um, Scott Craig, who's a representative, uh, Republican representative for South Dakota, who sponsored the bill, said he hoped the measure would shift the country's discourse on school safety, saying that uh, given the national attention to safety in schools, specifically in response to tragedies like in Connecticut, this is huge, he said. He added that hopefully the dominoes will start to fall. People will see it. Oh, I'm not even finishing the quote. The dominoes will start to fall. That's possibly going to be more children getting shot by guns. Yeah. Sort yourself out, America. He also said, people will see it's reasonable. It's safer than they think. It's proactive and it's preventative. No, it isn't. Well, I suppose technically it is proactive. I'm of the opinion that this isn't too bad of an idea. I don't know whether it's... I think it's brought about with the right intentions in that the fact that people are, if people are trying to shoot up a school, it's only safe to have someone who can stop that person. Whether you then just don't address the underlying social issues of people having guns and then trying to shoot up schools is another question. But the NRA said that if bad guys have guns, then we need to give good guys guns. Yeah. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Well, what That's happens like, if the bad guy is quicker on the draw? Because we've all seen American Western films. Sometimes they are. And also, what happens... If the bad guy gets there before the good guy can get to his gun, which is possibly going to be locked up in a drawer, I imagine, so the children can't get hold of it. Or uh, on the person in a holster, probably. Like what a buttoned holster or something like that. What happens if one of the good guys turns bad? Um, and just just if... <laughs> we had a, an issue in this country, which is so low-key on the shooting, that it possibly didn't even... I don't know if you two heard about it, where a man who was known with domestic violence got hold of a gun legally, shot his wife and um, her sister... And there's been a complete relook at the gun laws to make it even harder for them to get guns. Not to make it so that his wife could have a gun to possibly shoot him. They seem to have gone, we've had a shooting tragedy, let's give more guns out to stop this. It's utterly just ridiculous. Yeah, I'm not sure in a situation where you're thinking maybe people have too much access to guns, especially you can just buy like a really heavy duty assault rifle that could never <laughs> yeah you could it could never be used for anything else but for you know shooting a lot of people that's the thing it's not like a handgun you're keeping in your you know under your bed in case a robber comes in what are you going to do with an assault rifle except for just slaughter people indiscriminately but david just... we need it to protect ourselves from the government that has drones and could have you killed if they <laughs> wanted to yeah. grow up I just, I'm not sure in a shootout situation, how how well trained is a, you know, teacher going to be to shoot at, you know, in a massive melee at one person? A grade uh, so, six maths teacher or something, yeah. Yeah, you know, surrounded by children who are being shot at. I mean, there's a high probability he's going to shoot more children by accident. Or you just, I don't know how adding guns to a situation really helps if they're not going to, as you said, Ben, going to, well, addressing well, well, like underlying I said, social I'm, issues. I'm really torn on this because I know that they're mo it's motivated in the right way, which is to stop children being shot by people who are going onto schools to shoot. Like you said, whether that means that the people who are given guns can stop people from shooting the children and not shoot the children as well by accident is another question. But I, I think it's a good idea. I do think it's a good idea, but I think it's an idea. 
it's not a policy that you put forward. It's not actually going to work. And maybe what it'll do is it'll make the people who go into the schools end up shooting the teachers preemptively because they think they might have guns. Exactly. And that's even worse. And that's why I think it's a good idea. It's motivated in the right way. But actually, the law of unforeseen, you know, un unintended consequences will end up doing more harm than good. Yeah, I'm not sure it actually is motivated in the right way because it's come from the National Rifle Association, mm. who obviously have a big agenda to keep guns, you know, as many guns as possible around. Like, you could say they want that in the interest of, you know, saving children in a school shootout, but well, at the same not, time, they want guns yeah, if around. If we're not going to get rid of guns, then it's only fair that the bad guys, scare quotes, and the good guys, scare quotes, have the same amount of protection or ability to be offensive with a weapon that's where the motivation is now whether we agree with guns being there at all is a different question i know yeah. we pretty much all agree that it's stupid anyway can i just deal with two very large points <laughs> one right america for those of you who listen to us i'm going to address you personally here <laughs> we are not going to come and invade you again you do not need a civilian militia to protect yourselves against the nasty redcoats we don't want that land back. We have forgiven you for throwing the tea away. We're even, okay? Secondly, your government that you think your rifle or your handgun is going to protect you against, like I've said before, if they want you dead, that's not going to stop them, okay? <laughs> you don't need guns. We don't have guns here, and the Queen is not a dictator. David Cameron is not a dictator. He's another part of that word, but he's not a dictator. <laughs> but Adam, look at you. You have the cue to go to the doctors. <laughs> My hand goes I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have time to get into the argument. I don't have the time or the patience or the will. I heard there are lottery systems to decide who sees a doctor. <laughs> well, mercy me. Jimmy's rustled. <laughs> My, my, it's good to own land. It's Skynet! It's Skynet! Oh no, it's Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, researchers at Cambridge University have claimed to create an algorithm that can accurately predict a user's personality <laughs> simply from their likes on Facebook, which is very frightening. Yeah. Uh, the algorithms used on the profiles of 58,000 people, so a pretty comprehensive survey, uh, they were compared with psychometric tests of each participant and also compared to general characteristics of them, such as race or sexuality. The algorithms proved 88% accurate for determining male sexuality, 95% accurate in distinguishing African Americans from Caucasian Americans, <laughs> and 85% for differentiating Republican from Democrat. Christians and Muslims were correctly classified in 82% of cases, and relationship status and substance abuse was predicted with an accuracy between 65% and 73%. Uh, the links clicked rarely explicitly revealed the, those attributes. Fewer than 5% of gay users clicked obvious links, like gay marriage, for, for instance. Uh, some strange correlations also popped up. <laughs> Uh, the research author David Stilwell said, Curly fries correlated with high intelligence, <laughs> and people who like the Dark Knight tended to have fewer Facebook friends. <laughs> well, who knew that people who liked comic book characters didn't have many friends? <laughs> Unbelievable. 
I write fan fiction and uh, I have no friends. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's quite interesting. I think what's slightly worrying and is 95% accurate in dist- distinguishing whites from or white Americans from African Americans. Yeah. Which is a little bit like what what links were being clicked here that, you know. <laughs> the Ku Klux Klan. For white, for the African Americans <laughs> or the white Americans. <laughs> for the whites. <laughs> it's, <sighs> it's one of those things where you just kind of. I don't think you'll realise when you're clicking like on things that actually if you took all of those in a picture you could see exactly what you liked. There's some worrying things that, you know, we've probably got liked on Facebook, like, you know, like I have the Rhino Party liked in Canada, which is like the troll party of Canada, much like the Monster Raving Looney Party. I'd hate to think what someone now thinks that I like. But Yeah, especially when it's like you created it five years ago when maybe we weren't as mature as we are these yeah. days. Although not saying that we're mature in any way. That would be completely unfair, David. I've definitely grown up since I actually like Looney Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you do have to be a little bit worried about what this says about online privacy and our marketing companies using this as the government doing these things. In your brain, man. <laughs> uh, Facebook don't really have the best record on privacy issues either. Like, well, I mean, this this was a proper study, but it's also yeah. like, yeah, a third-party company or a marketing company or something like that paying for this kind of insight is like I can predict you know with a 90% accurate 95% accuracy whether they're white or, or African American um, 85% on Republican and Democrat 88% in terms of uh, sexuality you know 80 plus percent uh, religion all those kind of things you can really actively market to some people as well which is interesting in amongst itself as well but again slightly worrying in terms of I have a complete profile of this person just based on what they liked on Facebook. Uh, it's worrying that we can be differentiated this easily. Yeah. You know, like, we're all individuals and we're not. It I'm seems. not. <laughs> yeah. Another thing as well is, um, like, the idea that... Um, I've completely forgot what I was going to say. So. <laughs> I'm Facebook. sure Facebook could have told you yeah, what you were going to say for yeah. your Facebook likes. Maybe if you just liked forgetting what I was going to say. What I was going to say is, imagine those times where someone inadvertently leaves their Facebook profile open to tampering by friends. Remember there when you were some... David Cameron for a week? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I lost a lot of friends that week. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people said, when did I become friends with David Cameron? There are a lot of times, there's a lot of likes on there that you end up maybe finding in your like bar that you didn't like yourself. For example, well, I don't even want to go into some of them. <laughs> but if that's on my Facebook, you know kind of uh, profile of my personality there. Imagine the advertisements you would get (laughs) just popping up in the middle. Popping up being the right word. This isn't just regular capitalism. This is turbo capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) So a couple of months back now, um, David Cameron kind of gave a speech on how his party would bring back popular capitalism. Yeah. He blamed New Labour for the excesses of the previous years, saying three years ago, I argued that the previous government's turbo-capitalism turned a blind eye to corporate excesses, while we believed in responsible capitalism and will make it happen. The last government claimed to have got rid of boom and bust. What it really did was allow a debt fueled boom to get out of control. The result was a series of lethal imbalances in our economy between North and South, between financial services and manufacturing, between the people who got huge rewards at the top or welfare at the bottom, while everyone else seems to be left out. 
The truth is that the last government made a Faustian pact with the city. <laughs> what? David Cameron knows that there's a north in this country? <laughs> well, may I say, this <laughs> this sounds a bit hypocritical, especially that last line, a Faustian pact with the city. If you looked at a list of donors for the Conservative Party, <laughs> I think they pay, you know, all work somewhere within the corporation of the city of London. Somewhere within the inner city limits? Maybe. And all of their Canary bank accounts are definitely Bull. not in this country. Yeah. Rosie 49. <laughs> <laughs> Just to even say popular capitalism and turbo capitalism is ridiculous. <laughs> what anyway, the hell is that? They are literally the same ideas. Something else I wanted to talk about. He said the Tories, right, this is Cameron's word, had a record of promoting social responsibility that dated back to the era of Edmund Burke, who insisted on a public accountability for the East India Company. <laughs> Right, okay, so we made it publicly accountable what we were doing in the East India Company. How does that mean that we had social responsibility? We were colonialists. I know. We right. destroyed half the world. How when we were oppressing people in other countries, we did it with responsibility. <laughs> we made sure that all the correct forms were rubber stamped when we executed the slaves. It just... Social I'm responsibility. Just, I'm trying to do this thing right, but I know when these type of topics come up in previous series... I've been very quick to fly off the handle and, you know, not, not possibly get my point across how I want to and look very angry. So I'm not going to actually join in on this one because <laughs> I can't do that. Cameron also said that the spirit led to the Factory Act under Benjamin Disraeli, who began to set working conditions and continued in the modern era as Conservative forged a genuinely popular capitalism by opening up markets, he said. So genuinely popular capitalism like... Uh, denationalising everything, closing down the mines, uh, destroying the manufacturing base, moving everything into a knowledge-based economy. That kind of popular capitalism. Yeah. yeah. Uh, everyone in the North absolutely loved it. <laughs> I don't, I, the, the people in the North were actually striking to kind of... Get more the, popular yeah, yeah, capitalism. Yeah, yeah. They wanted to draw attention to the fact that, that... they hated the mines that much that they refused to work in them. Yeah, that, that's what it was. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> The Conservative Party had shown that progress was not achieved by abandoning the free market, which actually promoted morality, David Cameron said. <laughs> he said he believes that open markets and free enterprise are the best imaginable force for improving human wealth and happiness. They are the engine of progress generated the enterprise innovation that lifts people out of poverty and gives people opportunity. No, that's it. I theoretically. Right. He no, theoretically lift people out of poverty. It's the thing that puts them in poverty. We need to stop because I think David Cameron's fundamentally misunderstood what profit is. Yeah. You can't have profit without oppression. There is no that's just arbitrage. You can't create money out of nothing. Right? Plus he <laughs> accused <laughs> But it doesn't matter. It, he literally accused like what I assume was like fifteen minutes earlier, the Labour Party going too much towards capitalism, turbo capitalism, and that led to a moral black hole where everyone got rich at the top and really poor at the bottom. And then he says, But if you know, the free market also promotes morality, so when the Labour Party were promoting it, they just didn't get the requisite moral values can across. I also, can I also add, he said, I would go further, where they work properly, open markets and free enterprise can actually promote morality. Why? Rhetorical question. Because they create a direct link between contribution and reward, between effort and outcome. The fundamental base of the market is the idea of something for something. <laughs> An idea which we need to encourage, not condemn. So we could use the crisis of capitalism to improve markets, not undermine them. Can I just make, I'll just make one point here. 
Creating a link between contribution and reward, between effort and outcome. Yeah. Those so, people who worked, you know, like I did over uh, Christmas, 60-hour weeks for a minimum wage, you know. Yeah, that's, that's your effort, and you've got outcome of a wage. Now, a minimum wage, whereas people maybe higher up in the company who maybe didn't work as many hours. Sat at a desk. Sat at a desk. Spent days at home doing what they wanted to do, or yeah. being a shareholder. They were getting dividends, but they weren't putting in any effort. Yeah. How does that work? I'm not sure. Wait, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's capitalism. Uh, that's what that is. Now, free markets don't do that. The point is that when you've got a capitalist society, the only way that you get a product for a price is by shipping it out or making it with by someone who doesn't get paid the actual value of that product. Like, Adam goes out and he's like, I don't know, a, um, a woodcutter or he's... Um, I don't have you know, a mason or something like that. You make something for a company and they'll sell it on at ten times what they pay you for making that thing. That's how they make profit. You can't have profit if you pay everyone the right amount of money. If I was to pay you, say if you made a chair, you were a woodworker, I paid you £5 for the chair, then we sold it for £5, that would be fine. Your effort would equal your outcome. But it's not. We're paying you like £1.50 So essentially, hours. Ben, if we want to just sum this up, Cameron's talking bollocks here. <laughs> he has a fundamental misunderstanding of what the free market does. The free market moves resources to where they need to He's be. He's never been involved in any market. He's a millionaire. Exactly. Yeah. If you really want to, you know, create a direct link between contribution and reward, do you know what would work? Hang on, where's the Soviet national anthem? <laughs> Get it up! Get it up! Where is it? Oh. Uh, what really annoys me is just... Cameron, popular capitalism versus turbo capitalism is just typical nothingless. It like, is, they don't empty. mean anything. Like, pretty much how he's contradicted himself in the same speech. They are pretty much the same thing. It's just that he did it as the Conservative Party, so it's fine. Labour didn't do it, so it's not great. I'd love to see what popular capitalism and turbo capitalism's entrance music is. Bam, 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 entering the ring. Turbo capitalism. And I like the fact he brought up the spirit of like Disraeli and people like that. Edmund Burke, who would look at the current Conservative Party and it's just unrecognisable, basically. Well, the thing is, well, he's saying things like Disraeli, who began to set up better working conditions. Because so many people die. Exactly. There was no motivation for the factories to do that because they were making so much money by paying people half a penny an hour and then the ultimate and maybe they die at the end of their shift and they wouldn't have to pay them like, oh we lost another one in the mill did we good we don't have to pay them <laughs> they were the <laughs> earliest people who like you know they were the early pioneers the of ultimate completely free market, free market. was yeah. like I said the it's East India same. Trading Company being a colonialist we were going over there taking something for nothing and selling does anyone it. remember why the East Indian Company no longer exists why uh, that oh it's because they killed a lot of people in India and then the British took the land and said, "You cannot be trusted with yeah. this." But to say Disraeli, this is what oh, this is what the Conservative Party do. Like you said, if you've got nothingness and people dying through dangerous working conditions, if I was a Conservative and I went, do you know what? Maybe people shouldn't die when they go to work. That's not really making me like. That's not popular capitalism. That's just being human. <laughs> Which is worrying. Putting the word conservative and, and being human, human together. Never going to happen. No.
Ancock, Philly Castle, they've lost the ball again. Oh, they're, they're breaking down the wing. It's been crossed into the middle. Rooney! You must say they're drastically underperforming in this game. Absolute disgrace. I agree there, Jeff, and that makes it 43 nil. And that is football, not rugby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the news this week in the sports section is Carefilly Castle ladies have quit their football league on the back of a 43-0 loss. <laughs> it's a culmination of a pretty torrid season for the side. <laughs> torrid. <laughs> which is a bit of an understatement. Uh, after a mass exodus of players who went on to form a rival team, they persist, uh, persisted with some very young players. And the season has not exactly gone to plan. Uh, in 10 games, they'd scored one goal, which, you know, at least they got on the scoreboard. But in the conceded column, <laughs> 219. <laughs> <laughs> and that included about at least six uh, games where they conceded over 20. And, well, on but, the first day of the season, they only conceded five as well. Yeah, and then it went to something like 10, 12... 14, 14 24, 38, 42, 43 nil. Yeah, they had earlier vowed not to quit the league, but they eventually decided that focusing on their youth teams was perhaps a better strategy. Carefully, <laughs> <laughs> Castle ladies are actually quite big in uh, ladies' football. In terms of like amount of teams, they're only Cardiff City, like an actual professional football team, yeah. have more women's teams than them. But to be in this kind of situation really isn't that good. Yeah. Chelsea have uh, tried to organise a friendly against them to try and get Torres scoring again. <laughs> Torres could only possibly manage one or two. I don't know, his team. He'd be marked out of the game, I'd like to think. <laughs> Imagine... Did they not just at one point just say, OK, everyone on the line? Because when you're like, maybe when you go down to about 12-0, you might then think, all right, let's drop another one back into defence. You know, let's play six at the back now. All right, let's play seven at the back. Okay, eight at the back. All right, everyone on the line. Because that's what you do as a kid is when you're losing like 15-0 on the playground, you just all stand on the goal line. <laughs> I didn't. I just used to kick people. <laughs> well, they could have done that as well. Honestly, they should have goal just... every two minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why didn't they just get six people sent off all the time? Then they only lose 3-0. Yeah. yeah. Genius strategy. Just kill another player. <laughs> When they're going through on goal, just, you know, whip out a knife and chop their legs off. <laughs> or, or, or just tackle them and get sent off for nothing uh, yeah, clear. We, we don't have to kill people. We don't have to escalate it there, mate. Yeah. As I said, imagine only losing to them 5-0. Or only beating them 5-0. Yeah, they must the feel pretty depressed now. But I guess that's after the, the rest of the squad left. But, I mean, yeah. And every, on 43 minutes, that's just about a goal every, every two minutes. Yeah. For the entire game. And I'm pretty sure there's probably a, a stretch in there, maybe in the 30s, where they probably conceded six or seven just over and over, just straight from the kickoffs. What were they doing with the ball? You get the ball, right, kickoff, right, keep holding the ball, keep holding the ball, keep holding the ball. They got the ball 43 times. Allegedly. Four, four times. Allegedly. They touched the ball at least 44 times because they had kickoff and then 43 goals back to the centre spot. They could have just topped that and then knocked it back round the back yeah, four. But the thing is about all of this is the game technically should be going on now. Because of the stoppage time, yeah, for each goal, yeah, yeah. thirty seconds, 30 seconds yeah. yeah. So do forty-three times by thirty seconds, and then you've got to think of the goals that are scored in the stoppage time, which is another thirty seconds. The goals that scored in the time that's added on to the time that's added on, then the goals that are scored in the time of the added on that's added on. That you'd be playing forever. So for yeah. me, this just points out that the referee's clearly not doing his job properly. He's been bought. 
He's been bought. <laughs> been, been bought. Been bought, right? Now, in this part of the show, you would be listening to the free story game. Um, had Ben not have his dog, Millie, decided to scratch the door throughout the entire recording of that part of the show. Um, so all you can hear is a very annoyed dog being locked out of a room, scratching a door throughout all of us talking. Um, so, sorry about that. Uh, it was quite amusing. Ben got rather annoyed as I changed the news story to be slightly false. And... Um, we all learn it's not a nice place to uh, referee if you get stuck in the Ghanaian 4th Division. Do not annoy Ghanaian 4th Division footballers or they will throw the pitch at you. Sorry about that. So that was the stories this week. Uh, I don't think Ben's very happy, but, you know, I'm not related to Mike Riley. I will curse your family. <laughs> So, uh, on a new feature of the show, David, what have you learnt from this week's show? Um, I've learnt that if you give a teacher a gun, if you add more guns to a situation, then things can only get more awesome. <laughs> ben, what have you learnt from this show? I've learnt never to let Adam do this game again. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'd say that uh, possibly when you go 32-0 down, it's probably best to only play one up top and play 10 or 9 back. Probably fair. Yeah, probably. Maybe switch from three five two to a four four two, something yeah, like that. Fancy tactics of yours. Adam, what have you learned? But I have been able to not scream and shout at <laughs> stories that I find ridiculous or offensive or have David Cameron involved in any way. Mate, have you got a lump in your neck? What's that? <laughs> it's my <laughs> rage. Suppressed rage. <laughs> <laughs> We're both proud of you, Adam. Though. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. So that was the stories this week. Uh, I don't think Ben's very happy, but, you know, I'm not related to Mike Riley. I will curse your family. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, on a new feature of the show, David, what have you learnt from this week's show? Um, I've learnt that if you give a teacher a gun, if you add more guns to a situation, then things can only get more awesome. <laughs> <laughs> ben, what, what have you learnt from this show? I've learnt never to let Adam do this game again. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'd say that uh, possibly when you go 32-0 down, it's probably best to only play one up top and play 10 or 9 back. Probably fair. Yeah, probably. Maybe switch from 3-5-2 to a 4-4-2, something yeah, like that. fancy tactics of yours. Adam, what have you learned? But I have been able to not scream and shout at <laughs> stories that I find ridiculous or offensive or have David Cameron involved in any way. Mate, have you got a lump in your neck? What's that? <laughs> it's my <laughs> rage. Suppressed rage. <laughs> <laughs> We're both proud of you, Adam. Yeah, well done. Thank you. So that's the end of episode two, series five. Um, hope you've enjoyed listening. As usual, our social network stuff, Twitter is at This Week in Lies. Indeed. And uh, Hotmail or email has gone through a couple of changes, Adam. Uh, it's now this week at this week in lies even at outlook.co.uk. So well played there to Microsoft for Jeez. ruining it for no reason. Um, we hope you've enjoyed the show today and um, keep tuned for next week's show. See you later. Bye. See you later.
Thanks for listening. This Week in Lies was brought to you by our sponsors, the Catholic Church. You didn't see anything.